Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another fantastic episode of Fantastic Mr. Fox Minute, the only show on the internet that talks about the 2009 stop-motion film based on a book. Uh, oh, this, there's also Coraline, but there's no Coraline Minute. But this is Fantastic Mr. Fox Wes Minute. Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson film. Okay. I'm Tyler Boudreau. And I'm Condra Boudreau. And we're here to talk about Fantastic Mr. Fox, one of two stop-motion animated films to come out in 2009. The better one? Mm. <laughs> Up for a debate. I would say yes. And yeah, uh, you're here to talk about Minute 73, which begins with Bean saying, kill him! And it ends with Petey getting knocked over by Spitz the dog. So quite the turn of events happens in this minute, Condra. Where would you like to start? The action commences. Yes. Firing of weapons happens. I think it's really interesting how terrible of shots they all are. Um, They're not that bad of shots. Ash stands still in one point for several seconds. Okay. And they hit all around him. All right, yeah. It's but they're very probably they're probably moving and Ash is moving and they're probably running to catch up with him. We'll get to that part. Cuz at first they're like hiding behind these crates and they kind of all get shot at and they kind of the crates all get like destroyed by the bullets mm-hmm. and they're all hiding behind like one crate huddled together. I would have to think they're using, like, buckshots for the yeah. kind of damage they're doing. Yeah, I would say so, too. Also, just the crates are pr- pretty lucky that, like, the one that they're hiding behind doesn't get damaged so much, but all the other ones get blown up. And even after that, when they're just hiding behind the one and they start shooting out the same crate again, it gets torn down a little bit, but they still don't get hit. Yeah. Uh, there's some interesting photography in the book, The Making of Fantastic Mr. Fox, that shows their testing of the crates being destroyed and how they did that. Because I was definitely wondering. I'm like, all right, this is stop motion. You take this crate apart piece by piece. <laughs> yeah. How does that work? And they literally did take them apart piece by piece. Pro- it's, it's pretty cool. Seem like this is probably easier in stop motion than it is in live action to do like... Like if you wanted to have like real effects like that, you would need uh, what squibs and like... Thing, like automatically blowing up props and stuff like that. This kind of thing that makes a live action production a nightmare. And this, while it's definitely more complicated than your average scene, except for maybe like a scene like the waterfall or something, this is just kind of par for the course. I, I don't know. Maybe if we had an am- animator on, they would tell me that it's a lot harder because there's so many moving pieces. I think I would think it, there would it would be a lot harder because you do have to move tiny pieces all throughout the shot like it's not just one thing you're focused on there's so much going on that the attention to detail for it is insane oh yeah and this is definitely like part of what makes this like the climax of the movie is that now we have more things going on than ever i just i just kind of thought that was an interesting comparison to a live action film when you think about what the difference is they don't actually have to like fire fire prop guns or anything so Mm -hmm. just interesting it is and I think the way they composed the shot that we're, as the audience, we are overhead, yeah. um, kind of separated where we've had a lot of point of view shots in the last few minutes, but for the intense action, they've removed the audience from it and we've become that omnipresent viewer again. Yeah, it would have been a lot more intense if when Ash starts running, we were kind of like in his point of view and like getting bullets whizzing over our shoulders, but it would have been less Wes Anderson-y. And it's the more Wes Anderson he shot is just to kind of like have a tracking sideways pan. But and I liked what you said last minute about the uh, the fact that we're so far away from the humans, they're kind of dehumanized. 
uh, and the, the critters were so up close to, and we get kind of this shot of them huddled together behind a crate, really like strong emotional minute, like they're getting fired at. And we have these distant kind of spectral figures of the humans shooting guns at them. And even the few times that the humans are shown following Ash or running throughout the scene, they, they're they still far away and it, it continues. But I will say when they show the shot of them moving and they're still in line and in step, it is a very intense and real... They have some training that I wouldn't expect. Well, this is this. they might be like people that used to be in the war 20 years ago. Especially if this is like quasi sixties, I'm sure they were all in World War Two. We probably talked about this. We t- didn't we talk about how Bean probably used to be a spy or something? Yeah, we might have very <laughs> briefly. So the basically the, the setup of this minute is Fox had said, "I'm not leaving here without that necktie," and then immediately Bean just says, "Kill him," and they all start shooting at him. And then so they're all ducked behind the crate, and then Fox turns around and says, "Actually, we should just go." Where did I park? Where did I park? And then he, does, he says, where did I park? Through his, like, gritted teeth. But not, like, intimidating gritted teeth. More like the, uh... His embarrassed smile yeah, gritted teeth yeah. that he's done a bunch of times in the past. Yeah. For which we have described the emoji. Yes. It's that kind of shot, that, like, that face in comparison, because it literally just happened in the last minute. It is funny how different they are and how different they sound. Like, yeah. George Clooney obviously didn't read that line through the fake smile thing that Fox was doing in the way the gritted teeth, he probably did a bit more gritted teeth. Yeah. It's less gritted, but it would be interesting to see George Clooney in a sound booth like that. And then Ash says, I weigh less, less than a slice of bread. And, and the audience knows what that means. And Christopherson does, but his father his, and Kylie have no clue. He's like, wait, what? And then Ash takes off running, very heroically. Uh, this is one of those things where it's, uh, this is kind of what makes Ash the most brave person among the, the four of them. Um, I'm thinking very closely of uh, from Game of Thrones, Tyrion Lannister has like several times throughout the show, and now that it's over, it's kind of easy to talk about, kind of proved that he's the most brave person. Not Not because he's a great hero, because he's not a particularly accomplished soldier, but in times like this, where you need someone to step out and like really like be willing to take a bullet for other people, he's the person to do that, just like Ash. I don't get that reference, but I think of <laughs> Samwise from Lord of the Rings um, in a very similar way, that he's the hero of that story. Frodo might be the protagonist, but Sam is the hero and is the one that steps up and out and fights the good cause, even when Frodo is crazy. Yeah. But Good good Ash, analogs. Yeah, yeah both ho- of them. Hopefully accessible to most people. Most people have seen Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones, essentially. If you're 73 minutes into a, into a podcast about Fantastic Mr. Fox, chances are you've caught up on the two of the biggest things ever to come out of pop culture. I still haven't seen Game of Thrones, so... Okay. That being said, about Ash being really brave, his father still takes it in a very simple way. He definitely is, like, admiring Ash in this minute, but he's comparing it to his token kind of what he was great for, which is Whackbat. But I think (laughs) that's the recognition that Ash wants. 
he wants his father to think he's an athlete. And that doesn't come out unless Fox says this. And it's, it's as we said before, kind of Ash proving himself in a different way, but still a, a good way. And then obviously Mr. Fox is kind of making a metaphorical connection. Like uh, what is, he says, he says, so he makes a whack bad analogy. He says, dodge the grabber, stuck the taggers, jump the twig basket and knock the cedar stick off the cross, cross box, cross rock, cross, cross rock. rock. And Ash kind of does similar things. He's kind of jumping over like piles of leaves, piles of and, leaves wheelbarrows. And, and wheelbarrows and stuff like that. And then at the end, he, of course, like knocks the handle off the door. Which he does with uh, a rake that he's broken the top bit and most of the handle off. Oh, yeah. So it looks like a whack bag. Yeah, this is, what, well, this is what I want to talk about. He, he breaks this uh, and then he has this thing that looks like a whack bat. Is that what a whack bat is, though? It's just like the origin story of whack bat. Is like they had like a rake and they they broke this part off so they just had the middle part of it and then that was like hey let's just start playing with this thing kind of like I don't know the origin of basketball where there was just baskets and stuff like that. It's definitely possible. I still am not sure based on size because if you consider like a rake versus ash and what we suspect to be his size based on the fact that he's a twelve year old fox. It, it's not entirely clear, and I think that's where this movie being animated and less realistic, the suspension of disbelief is a lot easier to pull because I would think a rake would never be so small. Like, the not- size of the like, him breaking it up would have been a lot more challenging because, like... I always think a rake is, like, my height. I have a hard time wielding a rake sometimes because yeah. they're so big. Yeah. And to have a little potentially two, not even three-foot thing. Yeah. Definitely, a- definitely him breaking apart the rake is weird size-wise. But I think the idea that the base of the rake, like, to which the the leaves of the rake are attached. What do you call, like, the rake part of a rake? Spines? The s- I don't know. Tines? Like, are they like yeah, tines? Yeah, sure. Let's go with tines. So, with we there's the handle, and then the part in the middle, and then the tines. Theoretically, that part in the middle could be an appropriate size for a whack bat. Yeah, it would just have to be broken down to the appropriate size of a two-foot critter. Yeah. It's definitely possible that this is its origin. Wes is allowing us to peek behind the curtain a little bit to be like, oh, well, were the, you I'd... unsure what the bat was made out of? This is what it is. Yeah. And the idea that, like, the, the the critters kind of use human objects and kind of repurpose them into their own thing. Obviously, that's kind of a major theme of the whole movie. So, yeah. Definitely. And it's funny, too, because not only do they repurpose human things, but then they have critter things like the Walkman and the pager and the cell phone. And yeah. these things that are, hum- like, humans also have, but they also have in the critter world. Yeah. Oh, also, when Ash is breaking apart the rake, this is the part where he's just kind of standing still and no one's hitting him. Yeah, and it's very Stormtrooper, like Star Wars Stormtrooper, and I'm just like... Well, it's like, we kind of know that Ash isn't going to get shot in this moment, because it's the heroic climax. Like, (laughs) Ash isn't going to die in this movie. What a plot twist, if he would have. Yeah, I mean, in terms of narrative, I think it would have worked, like, if someone was going to die, it would have been christopherson or uh maybe kylie and mr fox if it was an arc where he died to redeem himself yeah 
Ash is the last person I would peg in this list to die. I would even peg Mrs. Fox, like Felicity Fox yeah. before yeah. Ash. But it's still like what a dramatic turn of events if Ash were to die in this. But <laughs> it would be I can see like a version of it where it would be like a comedic like obviously Ash is too main of a character for it to be comedic, but like uh like if Kylie were to have, I think it would have been more comedic. But like Monty Python and the Holy Grail when they all run out to fight their rabbit. And, yeah. like, half of them die. Mm-hmm. And then you re- we realize none of the characters we actually, like, are familiar with die. But, like, still, like, so- like a gory death that kind of shocks you, like, has a shock value, can be comedic in that way. Mm-hmm. Obvi- and Wes Anderson can sometimes nail that tone. Obviously, death is, like, a little hard-lined. But, like, yeah. Uh, the references continue. So not only do we have the gritted teeth and the whack bat, but then... Ash demonstrates that he did learn his karate lesson properly in his moment of heroism. Yep. And that he knocks the handle off the door with the rake piece that he has in his hand. Yeah, and and he he pulls He does like flippies. Yeah, he, he jumps and flips and hits the handle and pulls back. And that pullback generates the force of the impact. Absolutely. Uh, I didn't see the pullback. I just kind of saw him hit it. But then, yeah, he well, no, because the- it doesn't fall off until he takes it off, and like there's this dramatic pullback. That's cool. Um, and then uh, he lands and he digs himself into the ground, and the door handle's knocked the off the door. Fastest digging ever. Well, he already had the momentum. Yeah, <laughs> that's not how digging works. No, uh, and then the rest of the the people shooting at him all run up, and Bean tells them to stop shooting because he's already dug a hole, and then the door is kind of there, and then. Ash pops up and says hot box and Spitz runs out the door and uh, we get the music cue. So earlier in the minute when Bean said kill him, that's when we got just the instrumental music cue of the Bogus Munson Bean theme. And then when Ash says hot box, turns it back on back around so that Bean and the gang are the kind of ones in danger. The children's vocals come back in. Yeah, the children's vocals come back in. They start singing the Bogus Munson Bean, one fat, one short, one lean. Yeah, the music interacting throughout this climactic scene is, it very much directs how you understand both sides and what where you should be paying attention to and really strengthens the the impact of the scene. Yeah, the pullback generates the force of the impact. Um, what I was going to say is Depla does a good job in terms of like, writing a th- like a piece of music that works for the climax because we kind of continue to hear this music for the next three or four minutes of just chanting and we've already heard it extensively throughout yeah. the village yeah and then we heard it earlier when it was like more just exposition like this theme continually being used in all these different situations but it, do- it doesn't get old it's no. still kind of just like yeah it's kind of fun but it also intense mm-hmm. and the idea that like, earlier in the minute he does the cue without the the lyrics and then later in the minute he does the same cue with the lyrics it's still like it's still engaging every time it's it's you still feel that moment of suspense just before it kicks in and then when it kicks in it's super fun oh something we didn't talk about too but another very wes anderson something that we've been seeing a lot is when fox is spewing all the whack bat analogies we're doing another not as intense zoom in but we are zooming in on him yeah. like little by little with each line and his eyes are bugging out in yeah. this really like weird way and he yeah, looks he's, very he's really, elfish he's really excited like he's just happy for his son 
in a kind of pride way. Yeah, I don't even know if it's like a pride way, but like pure astonishment, like yeah. bewilderment. Like, like I can't believe my son like, is doing. It's like this. it's like in Hamilton when Philip raps for Alex. Yeah, <laughs> and Alex is just like, "Whoa, this is amazing." Yeah, no, that's a great analogy. Like it is very much. It's the way his eyes bug out, and he just has this complete shocked look on his face. It is very amazement like he had no idea his son had this in him and yeah it's it's exciting but it's also i thought i don't, I don't know if it's just because we've been watching harry potter recently but he looked very house elfy like the oh, long yeah. pointy ears the big eyes i was like oh gosh yeah and just back to that thing about like fox finally recognizing ash for like the athlete that he is in one hand but like just the like the good brave person that he is like willing to go out and risk himself like, that proves it more than whether or not he can do these jumps or not. And, yeah, I think it's a good moment. And I know it's kind of Mr. Fox, as kind of as we've kind of talked about, is kind of an idiot. And that's a lot of a lot of men kind of understand uh, emotions through sports. Yes. That's which not is frustrating. which is not to say that all people who like sports are idiots. But sometimes sports are an, are an accessible way to process character arcs and emotions and stuff like that. And I think. You mentioning that helps because I still was like, okay, he's just recognizing him as an athlete and not, like, as a hero or as very brave or, like, the emotional elements that go along. Like, what he's actually doing, he's kind of condensing it to a whack-bat analogy, but there is so much more going on that maybe he is recognizing, maybe he's not. Either way, he's, like, proud of his son in this moment, and that's pretty exciting. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the last thing I wanted to point out is that uh, as Spitz is terrorizing the group, it's a fun shot because everyone kind of just scatters. And you see in the like in the corner, the cameraman is there and he actually gets closer to the dog. <laughs> Always in it for the gram. Yeah. And yeah, so uh, Spitz knocks over Petey and that's kind of the end of the minute is Poor people Petey. are scattering. I don't think Petey gets bit necessarily. He Hopefully looks like he not. just kind of gets knocked over. Hopefully not. Rabies, from what I hear, getting rabies injections are really painful. I had one of my classmates that I just graduated school from, like, was talking about getting rabies shots from a bat, like, having a bat in their house. And it was apparently... A whack bat? No. Like, <laughs> a fly bat. Oh, like a, like an eep, eep, eep bat? Yeah. Yep, that's what bats sound like. <laughs> I had a bat on the U-Haul I was driving around yesterday. It was pretty cool. Um, I like bats in general, but I... Bats are very cool. But the idea that they carry rabies and, like, you don't want necessarily want one in your house. Well, I mean, you really don't want any non-domesticated animal in your house because they do carry so many diseases. And even some domesticated animals carry diseases, like a lot of reptiles. Like, people that have bearded dragons. Like, bearded dragons are really, really cool, but they also carry salmonella. And same with, like, tortoises. And, like, my deep fear of salmonella would definitely outweighs my love of reptiles and like would the i would want to have a reptile if i didn't not want to have salmonella and like the people that like show incredible affection for their bearded dragons and things i'm like too much you can't wash your mouth out and hope you don't get salmonella kind of thing like you can but i mean like the intense affection they show sometimes i'm like no 
But bats are super cool and it bothers me that they're endangered because they do so much good. Like, people are like, oh, mosquitoes are such a pain. And it's like, yeah, have more bats and we have less mosquitoes. Yeah. On that note. Save the bees. <laughs> save the bees. Save the bats. Save the bean. Planet. Bean farm no not no. bean farm because he's the bad guy yeah fantastic mr fox is the movie we're talking about but we're not talking about it anymore because now the episode's over what uh yeah <laughs> so if you want to listen to minute 74 tune in next week or just download it because you're listening to it in the future and it's just right there whoa how's the future have you saved the bats and the bees yes <laughs> <gasps> oh yeah this, sorry this is me from the future saying that uh Spider-Man Far From Home was pretty good. <laughs> that was the only thing I could think of that happens in the future. <laughs> you know, out of all the things that could happen in the future, that's not a bad one. But that could mean you're only time traveling a few months back, which would then upset me for the real possibilities of time travel I want, which is to uncover historical gaps in, like the re- in the historical record. Which is really why I want time travel. I want time travel for lots of reasons. Cause I- You'd rather go to the past than the future? Yes. Very neat. Okay. You want to find us Although on Twitter at Amateur Nerds or at me personally is T-Y-L-E-R-B-O-U-D-Y. Rate, review, subscribe on whatever podcatcher you are listening to. Uh, yeah, do the things. And see you next time for another fantastic episode of Fantastic Minute. I've been Tyler Boudreaux. I've been Condra. And we hope you have a fantastic day. Fantastic.